get your Bibles, and we're going to look at several things this morning. Uh, I'm entitling this lesson, and I'm just going to warn you in advance. I'm calling it soapboxes, soapboxes, things apostolics need to stop doing now. Look at your neighbor and say now. Now, I'm not in a bad mood. I'm in a good mood, actually, and uh, I want to assure you that uh, these are not things that... Uh, that I've noticed in any one person. I'm not addressing anything uh, that I see as particularly problematic in our church. These are just issues that I have noticed uh, throughout the apostolic movement and ways of thinking that are not biblical and that are improper. And they're soapboxes that I get on. And, uh, and so I figured rather than just uh, getting on my soapbox week after week after week uh, and putting them in little sermons. I just throw them all together and get it all out of the way at once. How does that sound? We'll just get on one big soapbox and we'll just move through them as quickly as I can. And here's why. Because some of these things might seem trivial to you. It might seem unimportant. But I can tell you from uh, watching people up close who have lost out with God, I can tell you that it usually begins with a mindset that seems just maybe a little bit off, just a little bit unbiblical. And you think, well, maybe that's not that big of a deal. Maybe, maybe that's not anything to be too concerned about. But if you allow unbiblical mindsets to grow and fester in your life, it will produce more and more and more unbiblical mindsets until you have a full-blown false doctrine, false worldview that impacts your entire lifestyle. That impacts, impacts all of your theology. It, it flows from you. And that's why it's important to correct your thinking and realign your thinking over and over and over again with the word of God. And you might say, you might be here like me. You know, I, I uh, was born on Saturday in church on Sunday, received the Holy Ghost when I was seven years old, grew up in church. Uh, you might be, have been serving the Lord for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. It doesn't matter you have to renew your mind and realign your mind with the word of God. Because if you don't, you'll find yourself in a situation like Solomon, where Solomon was raised in truth. He was raised around the things of God. He was given, he was literally given a kingdom. He was given wealth. He was given wisdom. He was given authority. He was given power. And he had all of these things and he took it for granted and he began to lust after idolatry. And at the end of his life, he said, all is vanity. All is vanity. Where did that despair, where did that hopelessness come from? It didn't come from his upbringing. It didn't come from what was given to him. It came from a mindset that shifted at some place in his life that he never could quite get right. Never could quite get it back where it needed to be. You know, his father, David, messed up. Remember David messed up? He had a bad failure. He really did. It was terrible. But the difference between his daddy and Solomon is that David readjusted his mindset when the prophet came in. The prophet came in and said, thou art the man. And David said, I need to repent. I need to get right with God. I, my thinking has been, has been uh, incorrect. I've allowed my mind, I've allowed my thought life to, to deceive me. I've deceived my own self. He didn't blame it on the devil. You know, a lot of times we blame everything on the devil, don't we? We blame everything on the devil gets blamed for all kinds of stuff he never did. We blame stuff on the devil that we did all by ourselves. Yes, we do. 
Because it's easier to say the devil made me do it than to admit that we just messed up. But sometimes you have to be willing to say my, my mind. And it all begins in the mind. That's where people uh, get confused with sin because we look at sin as just this outward action that took place and it just came out of nowhere. But there is no such thing as a sin that just happens out of nowhere. If you, if, if you, uh, if you hit somebody, hello, anybody awake? If you hit someone, if you strike someone, or take it even further, if you beat somebody up, anybody ever beat anybody up here before? Don't, don't raise your hand. I know some of you have because I know your testimony. If you beat somebody up, that doesn't just come from nowhere. That, that comes from a thought life. That comes from a mindset that you've allowed to grow in your heart, and then it produces an action. Every sin begins with a thought life. It begins with something inside of you. And then that thought life, that mentality produces a sin that comes out of that. And so everything begins with your way of thinking. That's why we need preaching. That's why we need more church, not less church. That's why we need to be in the house of God. That's why we need to be instructed in the ways of righteousness. And that's why right doctrine, everyone said doctrine. That's a word we don't like to use much because it sounds fancy and it sounds intimidating, and it makes us feel like we're in school or something like that. But I'm just going to tell you, the Bible tells us that we need to study to show ourselves approved. The Bible tells us that we need to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Yes, it does. And so if you think that church is just getting an ooey-gooey feeling and having a good time and getting your worship on and your praise break. Everybody knows Brother Ryan's all for the praise break. In fact, I hope we have one today. And if you didn't come ready for a praise break, you better get ready for a praise break. But it's more than just praise breaking. You've got to have sound doctrine or all the praise breaking in the world won't get you to heaven. You'll praise break yourself right into hell if you're not careful. A lot of people have danced their way right into hell because they didn't care enough to open up their Bible and align their mind, align their thinking with the word of God. All right, I'm on a soapbox. Everyone said amen. Everybody awake yet? All right, soapboxes. So things apostolics need to stop doing now. Look at your neighbor and say, stop it. Stop it. Look at your other neighbor and say, stop it. Point to yourself and say, stop it. All right, all right, next slide. We're going to look at number one. I'm going to go as quickly as I can. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to admit I was studying for this all week, and um, I had so many soapboxes that I couldn't fit them all <laughs> into one lesson. So I don't know. We'll go at least two here and, and try to get through as many of them as I can. Uh, number one, can everyone see that okay? All right. I'm adjusting to the new screen. I'm adjusting to the new style, but uh, we'll get better and better as we go. Uh, can you read that? Can we say it together? Stop. Calling everyone a child of God. Amen. Praise the Lord, Brother French. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. That made some of you uncomfortable just to say it out loud, didn't it? Stop calling everyone a child of God. Let me talk about that for a minute. Paul declared that the Lord knows them that are his, 2 Timothy 2.19. And that suggests, obviously, that some are not his. And no one familiar at all with the Bible would be able to say truthfully that all people are children of God. Not in the exalted or noblest sense of the word. In theology, we call it the exalted sense. 
For example, we all understand that God created everything, don't we? God created everything. He created every living being. We are all creations or creatures of God's making. In that sense, if you mean it in that sense, then yes, we are all creations of God. But we are not all children of God in the exalted or the noble sense or in what we would say in theological terms in the redemptive sense. How many are thankful that you're redeemed here today? We're redeemed. The old kids song, we used to sing it. Thank God I'm redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And so if you're redeemed, then you are a child of God. And you can only be redeemed by the blood. And so the scripture constantly overrides the notion that everyone is a child of God. Notice, for example, that even though the Jewish nation had been chosen by the Lord as a people for his own possession, Deuteronomy 7, 6, Jehovah warned them that if they rebelliously drifted from his law, he would disinherit them. And eventually the Lord would say to the arrogant, idol-worshiping northern kingdom of Israel, ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Did you know that God will disinherit people? He will disinherit nations. He absolutely will. That's why it's so important that churches like this church pray for revival in America. I'm thankful for revival in China. I'm thankful for the revivals that I'm hearing about in Brazil. I'm thankful for the millions of souls that are coming to God around the world. In fact, it's, it's interesting. If you, if you look at missions, world missions, you'll find that many times it's in the poorest countries of the world where revival is just literally spreading like wildfire. They're coming to God by the millions and the hundreds of thousands. They, they almost can't stop the revival that's taking place in those nations. But when you come to wealthy nations and then the wealthiest of all the nations, like the United States of America, we have a heart problem. We have a heart condition where we're content with materialism. We're comfortable with our stuff. You know, the great debate these days is, you know, should people really have to go to church more than once a week? Why? Because they got ball games to go to and movies to watch and they got extra hours they need to get at the job and they have all the extracurricular activities that that they need to attend and that they want to do. And so the things of God really become uh, low down on the list of priorities. And that is why we're not having revival in the United States of America, because you cannot have revival unless you put God first. You cannot have revival wondering whether or not you can just cram God in 30 minutes a week and maybe be okay. Because God demands that he be first. Everyone said first. That he be first in our lives. And so we see uh, here that when God addressed certain Jews who claimed a special relationship to him simply because they were of the seed of Abraham. You know, many uh, Jews in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament era, uh, they would almost develop an arrogance, much like many apostolics today, almost an arrogance as if, well, I'm a part of the chosen people. Uh, I'm a part of the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Z Jacob. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a part of the lineage of David. And so I'm, I'm a part of the kingdom of God by birth. And Jesus looked at them and said, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your fathers 
It is your will to do. In other words, it's not, it's not enough that you were just born into this thing. It's not enough that you just call yourself an apostolic. It's not enough that you just uh, have a feeling that you're an apostolic. At some point, you have to be apostolic. At some point, you have to actually demonstrate with your lifestyle that you are a child of God. If you take on his name, and when we're baptized, what do we do? We take on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important you're baptized correctly in the name. Not in titles, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at baptism, you're not taking on a title. You're taking on the name. And there's power in the name. There's healing in the name. There's deliverance in the name. There's salvation in the name. Somebody needs to speak that name this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost just standing on this soapbox already. There, there is power in the name of Jesus. And when you take on that name, there are responsibilities that come when you take on the name. If we wanted to continue that metaphor further, you become a child of the king. But not just the child of any king. You become the child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't care one frazzling thing about who got married in England. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't even remember their names. Merkel something and Prince something. I just know he has red hair. That's all I remember. And uh, I, I just couldn't care. There were ladies staying up all night to listen to the ceremony, and it seems like it was probably eight hours long or something like that. I pulled it up on YouTube just because I was curious for like three minutes because my daughter was interested. And... Uh, she wanted to see little bits of the of the ceremony and them walking in and all of this and she thought it was so beautiful and i fell asleep about three minutes into it i just couldn't i couldn't handle it i will tell you one of the things i noticed jumping over to a little rabbit trail here i did notice how modest their dresses were by the way which i thought was interesting praise the lord glory to god wow some of y'all are awake and uh, but I, I because my daughter was interested, I want to make this clear. I was not interested. Everyone got that. I wasn't interested. I wasn't reading because I cared. I was reading because my daughter cared. We got that. That's clear. All right. And uh, and so because she was interested, I was Googling little articles <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I was reading all the lists of requirements for a prince and for someone who marries in to a royal family, I'm just going to tell you, it is a lifestyle. Hello, anybody awake? It is a way of life. If you marry into the royal family, if you are born into the royal family, however you get into the royal family, and by the way, it's not easy to get into the royal family. You can't just walk up and say, you know what? I think I'd like to be a part of the royal family. Let me say a little prayer, and I'm in the royal family now. Mm -mm. You, you, can't, you can't just walk in and sign a little membership card and say, well, I signed my membership. I'm a part of the royal family now. No, no. 
You can't say, well, you know what? I've got $8 million. I'm going to buy my way under the royal family. You know, they've got so much money, they don't care anything about your $8 million. You can't buy your way into the royal family. You can't, you can't own enough land. You can't have enough stuff. You can't be good looking enough. It doesn't matter. You're not going to make it into the royal family unless you are born into it or you marry into it. That's the only way you're going to make it into the royal family. That's how royalty works. And I was reading this, this list, and I mean, it was massive. I mean, their every day is planned. From the moment you marry into the family, your every movement, everything you say, everything you wear, everything you do is now mandated and controlled by the royal family. Anybody okay? Why? Because you represent royalty. You are not, whether you like it or not, you don't get a choice. You represent royalty. Everything you say, everything, everything you say is considered a representation of the royal family. And so the words that you speak are no longer your own words. The things that you do, whether in public or in private, are no longer just your personal preference. You are now representing the royal family. And when you become a child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, I feel like preaching for just a minute here. I said, when you become a child of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you are an ambassador for Christ Jesus. Everything you wear, ev my God, everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go is now representative of the kingdom of God, which is much higher than any kingdom in this world. If an earthly kingdom can have that kind of weight of responsibility, how much more should the people of God say, I am a part of the royal family of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am purchased by the blood of Jesus himself. I have been washed by the blood of my Savior. And now it is my privilege and my honor and my responsibility. Did you know people would cut their right arm off to be a part of the royal family? There are people, you know, these, these princes, when they're single, they, they, five million people everywhere they go, they, they would want anything to be a part of the royal family, anything. They know it's going to be a responsibility, but they know the privilege and the honor, and they know all of, of the benefits that come with being a part of the royal family. And so they're not, they don't think, well, my goodness, I can't believe that I have to do that. No, they are a part of the royal family. And so when you are a part of the kingdom of God, if you're walking around with a mindset that says, I can't believe God requires this of me. It's just not fair that God would want me to do this. You know what you need to do? You need to go back to Calvary and remember that he purchased you with his blood. You need to go back and look at his sacrifice and be thankful and say, I have the privilege privilege of being allowed into the family of God. Absolutely. The moment you recognize in yourself, and we all have, I have, I certainly have, the moment you recognize in yourself a frustration at the requirements that come with being a part of the royal family of God, the moment you feel that inside of yourself, 
you need to recognize also that that is a result of ungratefulness for what God has done for you. When, when I was a kid, there was, there was this story, and I, I'm, uh, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think this through. This is just coming to me, but I remember it well. It was called The Prince and the Pauper. Do you remember that? The Prince and the Pauper. I seem like I'm a little too interested in royalty, don't I? But just, it's my daughter, y'all. The Prince and the Pauper. Is that Mark Twain? Uh, if I remember right, it's, it's twin something, the brothers, and one of them's a king, and one of them's, they look alike. And so, uh, they're not brothers, but they look like brothers. They look alike, and the, uh, the prince decides to go and live life as a pauper for a while. And... Uh, and he gets out there and he has hardship and then he wants to go back and then nobody believes that he's uh, actually royalty. And it creates all kinds of conflict and there's all kinds of things that come out of that. Did you know that's what a lot of Christians do? They have everything at their disposal and then they chafe at the responsibility and they think, well, if I could just go out and be like that for a while, that looks like freedom to me. And then they go out there and they realize that that's really not freedom. That's really not freedom. There's pain associated with that. And then they're struggling to get back to where they used to be, but it can be very difficult to go back to where you used to be unless your mindset changes. And so we are not all children of God. There are responsibilities, and there is a process that is involved. All are God's creation. Look at Revelations 18. This is where a voice from heaven called to those who are captives of Babylon. This is prophetic. Babylon is a symbol of wicked religious forces. And the plea was, come forth my people. Everyone said my people. Out of her that you have no fellowship with their sins and that you receive not her plagues. This reference, in my opinion, is directed towards genuine children of God who had wandered into the religious captivity of apostasy in the last days. These were people who had been children of God, and they slipped into Babylon, and now God is trying to give them one more chance and calling them out of their backsliding. Did you know that you can, you can be disinherited from the kingdom of God if you allow yourself to be enticed with the lust and the things of this world? And this is the last days. Let me just tell you, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. If you don't think you can be shaken, you can probably be shaken. Because it's the people who don't realize there's something. Because people who can't be shaken are people who are constantly shake-proofing their life. They're constantly making sure that everything's where it needs to be, that everything's tied down, that everything's ready. And so I want to make sure that everything in my life is ready for the shaking so I can come through the storm serving God. I can come through the storm praising. I can come through the storm with my faith intact. Now, everyone has the potential. This is important. Although not everyone is a child of God. In fact, we're not born into being children of God in the physical. We are born in sin, the Bible says, and we're shapen in iniquity. But we all have the potential to be reborn uh, we call it the new birth. That's what Jesus referred to it as, the new birth, to be born again of the water and of the spirit. 
And then when we are reborn, we are adopted into the family of God. And the new birth is the starting point. It's the starting point. And it all begins with repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. I was going to do this, but I don't have time. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. If you have a pen, write this down. It's too, too much to put on the screen. Pastor uh, referenced it the other day, and it struck me. It was so powerful. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 tells us that separation from the world, separation from unrighteousness, separation from things that would pull us into worldliness, an entire passage of Scripture on this, all of those things, so holiness, separation, righteousness, all of that is a requirement for sonship and daughtership. If you want to be a child of God, you have to be born again of water and spirit, and you have to be sanctified by the spirit, and you have to walk in holiness and righteousness, and then he will call himself your father, and you will be his son or his daughter. How many are thankful that you can call him father today? How many are thankful that he is your father? Amen. All right, next soapbox. Wow, I'm, I've only got a few minutes left, and I'm only on my second soapbox. Everybody okay? Everyone awake? Just wave your hand. Let me know you're alive. People are sleepy. It's summertime. People are tired. Number two, let's say it out loud. Stop expecting the world to like you. Amen, Brother Ryan. Amen. Praise God. Stop expecting the world to like you. Pastor, isn't this great just being able to turn like this and look at the screen? Stop expecting the world to like you. I might even would put it this way. And I want to be really careful how I say this because we all have a desire to be liked. For the most part, for the most part, maybe not Brother Dan, but most of us have a desire to be liked. And I, I want people to like me. I really do. Brother Duffy, you want people to like you, don't you? I want people to like me. Now, if they don't, I don't typically lose too much sleep over it. Um, but we want to be liked. There's there peer pressure is a real thing. And insecurity can be a, a real problem for many people. In fact, I, I would say the number one cause of backsliding among apostolics is insecurity. Y'all need to write that down somewhere and remember that. Some of y'all don't think that's powerful because you're too sleepy, but if you'd go back and look at it later, you'd realize that might save your soul. Insecurity will cause you to do things that are sinful because you want to be accepted and liked. I know I wasn't expecting you to really get excited, but, but you need to get it. And, you know, we, we all have that, that little bit of teenage angst inside of us somewhere. I've known people... 80 years old with insecurity that caused them to do things that, that you would never expect an 80-year-old to do because in a desire to be accepted, a desire to be liked. I, I faced this probably my, 
my greatest moment of, of really feeling this kind of pressure. Well, I had two moments in my life. And um, the first one was with four on the fire. Remember the four on the fire days? Brother Lyndall Anderson mentioned that. I've not talked about this much here because, frankly, it's a little embarrassing, and I'm always afraid someone will ask me to let them listen to our CD because it was pretty terrible. <laughs> we were, I was in a musical group. We were called Four on the Fire. Josh, if you're listening, I'm sorry. It wasn't terrible. It was great. Some of my old bandmates listen to our sermons sometimes. So they were great. I was terrible. Um, and uh, we produced a, an album called Unashamed, and we produced it ourselves. It wasn't anything terrific like Nathan and Rachel do, but, um, but we did travel a lot. And we were mostly teenagers, and we went around the country in an old, beat-up 1983 van that on its last leg. We broke down all over the country, let's put it that way, and loaded that thing. And sometimes we took the old Chrysler Town and & Country and took all the seats out and loaded equipment in the back of it and sat on top of guitar amps and sat on top of guitar stands it was and just drove all night long slept on top of boxes in the back of the in the back of the van and did uh, Christian concerts all over the country youth events mostly things like that and um, we certainly weren't world famous or even America famous but we uh, we did get around and had a good time and and it was a ministry to us and we took it very very seriously and it was a great experience in my life I enjoyed it. I just don't want to show anyone pictures or let anyone listen to the music, but I'm thankful for the memories. And um, I, I remember we, we were asked to open for a very well-known uh, Christian artist, and it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of you might know who that is. Some of you might not. He's getting older now. And then uh, a group that most of you wouldn't know, but some of you might. They were well-known in the 90s, and they were called Audio Adrenaline. So you can tell they were uh, hyper. And this was a big deal. And then we were invited to go to the Dove Awards uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And there was a record producer there who produced all of the big Christian artists. You remember this, Mom? And, and they invited us to come, and they were uh, thinking about signing us to a contract in Nashville. And uh, we were excited, and we were young, and they wanted to put us on this tour, and we were going to open up for um, a couple different artists that, that we knew about. And, and one of the things that they started talking to us about in the process, we hadn't signed a contract, but we were in negotiations is what they called it, contract negotiations. And they were basically going to tell us uh, how much money we weren't going to make in the beginning. And so we were looking at all of that and we were looking at what it would take and, and then I started seeing in the dotted lines that they were gonna, uh, if we signed a contract and if they offered it to us, we were gonna have to change our lifestyle. They were gonna tell us how to dress, they were gonna tell us how to do our hair, they were gonna tell us uh, what we could and could not say about our beliefs at concerts, they were going to tell us how to conduct ourselves and where we could go. They were going to control our lives. 
And I remember it was very difficult because even though we weren't guaranteed fame if we signed that contract, there was the possibility of fame and wealth somewhere. And I remember in that moment, I had to decide in my spirit, is it more important for me to be right with God or liked by people? Mm. And you know, sometimes you don't know the answer to that question until it's a real possibility. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you don't know how you would respond until you're given the opportunity to make the choice. Did you know that sometimes Satan will create opportunities for you to possibly be loved and adored by the world so that you are forced to make a choice between whether or not you want to be popular here or popular up there? Not every opportunity comes from God. Not every open door comes from God. I'm helping somebody right now. I feel the Holy Ghost all in there. Not every open door comes from God. Just because you see an opportunity doesn't mean you should run through it. Sometimes you need to pray about it. That was a difficult choice for me because I had to decide, and I, had, and I was young, and I had to figure out where my priorities and were and what I really cared about and how strong my relationship really was with God. And then the second time, I'm not getting very far, but I'll close with this. One of the second most difficult moments for me as a young man was in college, IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University right there in Indianapolis. And I was in sociology class. I'll never forget sociology. And I enjoyed sociology, the study of human nature and the study of why we do things and how we do things and how we socialize with one another and how we interact with one another and what that produces and culture and all of that. I really enjoyed the class. But my professor hated Christians, hated them. She was lesbian. And uh, not only did she hate Christians, but let me tell you who she hated more than Christians. She hated Pentecostals. I mean, the only thing she hated more than Christians was Pentecostal Christians. I mean, hate. And she said so. And the reason she said so is Indianapolis has thousands and thousands and thousands of Pentecostal Christians. Some of the biggest apostolic churches in America are in Indianapolis. And there's the big Bible college there where I attended. And at the same time, I was going there. And, and so she had met a lot of apostolics. She'd met a lot of Pentecostals. And she really hated them. And she made it clear. And one of the first things she asked me when I walked into cl class with 300 people, by the way, great big, huge room. And one of the first days in class, she pointed me out and she said, you. And I was just trying to blend in. It was my, you know, I was scared to death. My first semester in college, I was just trying to hunker down and hide under the desk and everything. And, and she pointed to me out way out in the back and said, you. And I looked around. I was hoping she meant someone else. She said, no, no, you. And I said, yes. And she said, you're a Pentecostal, aren't you? I said, yes. 
And she said, you better watch yourself, bub. And I, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I wanted to fall out of that room right there. If the hole could have swallowed me up, I would have gone down into it gladly. I would have been thrilled. In fact, I almost dropped the class, but, but I needed the class. I needed the credit. And so I'll never forget as that, as that semester went on, the peer pressure and many of the questions in order to pass tests were, were things that, that I had to state my opinion and my opinion differed from the opinion that they wanted me to give. And so I would always struggle and say, Lord, is it more important for me to pass this class and not have my parents angry at me? Or should I, can I just be honest and trust you to make everything work out? And can I tell you that in the end, you always need to stick with honesty because do you know that I remained true to my faith and I was still able to get through that and even eventually earn the respect of that professor because I did not give up on what I believed, but I did so with love and with confidence and it wasn't easy and there were many times where my faith was tested and shaken because I wasn't sure exactly what I believed, but it forced me to dig deep down into things. And I realized it's more important for me to be right with God than to be loved by even the educational systems in this world. You cannot make it if you're constantly wanting to be loved by the world more than you want to be loved by God. Can we lift up our hands? Lord, we love you today, Jesus. I want to be faithful to you. I want to serve you, God. Lord, it's more important to me to be right in your sight than to be right in the eyes of this world. I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor. In Jesus' name. Everyone said in Jesus' name.